You're listening to the Dark Depths Podcast. We would love if you could take a minute out of your day to follow the Dark Depths Podcast on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to our show, or just tell a friend. If you feel up to it, you can also give us a donation on PayPal or support us on Patreon. Don't feel like you have to, though. Our show is always going to be free. That's all the announcements. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Dark Depths Podcast, your go-to place for the modern and legacy formats. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I am here with the carrier of the flame himself, Michael Mapson. How are you? I'm, um, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've had a bit of a week, so. Uh, yeah, yeah. This started off good. Um, so, so for the listeners, um, you know, I was away last week because I, three years later, finally took my honeymoon. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and then I came back and my basement flooded. And now there's mold. Um, and mold removal is very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. And also when we came back, um, <laughs> my uh, tire that I just got repaired was completely shot. My car was undrivable. So I had to get that taken care of. I didn't miss a doctor's appointment because I couldn't drive to it. So that was <laughs> kind of annoying. Uh. <laughs> um, and now we were having technical problems recording. We were supposed to start 30 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they were on my end at first. And then Billy was like, well, I know I'll work around on my end. And then and then they were on his end too. Yeah. So if the if the quality of this sounds a little off, it's because we're doing like a recording myth that we've been done in like 70 plus episodes so if it sounds off it'll sound better next week hopefully assuming life does not continue beating us down here yeah so how are you i'm doing okay um i am slightly sleep deprived uh our oldest yeah it just it's sometimes it's like me like i i have been trying to play like my switch a little bit more often so that's not helping but the last couple nights my oldest has her uh incisors coming in for like canines right so she has been like waking up in the middle of the night like every like hour and a half two hours so i haven't gotten like a set amount of sleep in a while i like i woke up last night at I went to bed, I guess I'll say start there. I went to bed at 11, woke up at 12.30, um, 4 o'clock, 4.30, and then got up for work at uh, 6. So I've just been like up, 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 up. So I'm very tired myself, but a little caffeine gets me going. So trying to trying to make the best of it. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of waking up. I... Mm-hmm. Did not necessarily wake up a bunch, um, but this this is weird. My my sleep habits are just weird in general. Apparently, like I know most people like to sleep um, to sleep cold. I like to sleep warm. Um, yeah. But most people like to sleep at, when it's raining. Like the the sound of the rain is soothing to people, but mm-hmm. it keeps me up. And so, like last wow. night, it was raining, and I was just like, I can't fall asleep. There's so much noise. And then also, you know, there was water in my basement again this morning. So. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think our house has been 
waterproof like i think it was waterproof but i think um it is clearly time that it needs to be done again mm-hmm. uh, which thankfully seems like not too difficult of a diy project um because okay. you know we're dumping thousands into mold removal so like mm-hmm. i would like this part to be cheap okay oh, man yeah that's that's the the one thing i guess that's nice about where i am right now i don't like we're in a condo so i don't actually have the place that would flood like we're on the you've been to my my condo so you you know what i'm talking about but there is like a unit below mine that is actually like in the ground mine's on the ground level but not in the ground yeah and you're slightly raised up yeah so you're pretty safe um yeah, we um, we are not as safe. Mm. No, not at all, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, enough depressing news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk. Let's talk about something that went hopefully a little bit better. Do you want to talk about the uh, showcase qualifier? Okay, you could argue that is uh, just as depressing news. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. Showcase challenge was this weekend. I was very excited. Um, I will say I was a little bit annoyed when I found out when it was. Because um, when I looked online, it was originally scheduled for next weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but because uh, I don't even remember what the reason was, but they kind of pushed around a bunch of the dates in, in the system. So they ended up holding it a week sooner than was originally announced. Um, and you know, because of the timing, I really did not get to kind of play any leading up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, which bank green white was a pretty easy choice, right? It's the deck I've been playing the most lately. Um, I felt pretty good about my chances, all things considered. Like my record against Delver is still very good, despite the fact it was two of my losses in the last event. Um, yeah, but it went uh, it went very poor. <laughs> I uh, played against Delver around one and I lost, and I played against Delver around two and I lost. Can't remember what I played against round three, but I won. Round four, I think I played against Ruby Storm, which is an abysmal matchup. And then I can't remember what I played round five, but I'm pretty sure I lost that too. But also, I like was barely trying at that point. Um, I, yeah, but. Um, I really just like, I don't know, people, I, a couple of people I've seen ask like, oh, if Green White's so good against Delver, how come it like was losing in the showcase? And I will say a couple of things. One, I think, you know, the matchup, even though I still think it's favorable, I think it is less favorable than it was when Ragavon was a part of the format because he mm-hmm. like largely did not care about that card. Um, number two, um, you know, it's, it's close. Like even if green white is favored, it's not like it's, it's like far from an, like a 70, 30 matchup or anything. Right. Yeah. Like if, if I'm even a 10% favor, like that's not a big difference, right? Like another person could very easily win if things line up their way. Mm-hmm. Um, and my personal issues were, uh, so like the way the matchup goes typically is, Green White is able to deploy threats that are just like kind of 
too big to die to lightning bolt, right? No. Um, and that's kind of how you win. Like you get a little bit of card advantage, like they can't deal with your threats, and then you know they usually can't deal with merit rage. They might have a brazen bar and then one or two similar to the sideboard. Um, but it's pretty hard to, to deal with it, and like you can protect it pretty easily, assuming your creatures stay alive um, and you're able to like stick a knight or an elvish retriever. Mm -hmm. I never had a 3 4 elvish retriever throughout the entire event, and I had one knight throughout the event that was larger than a 3 3. I just could not mm -hmm. get lands in my graveyards. I couldn't find crop rotations. I like just I couldn't find mock signs. It just couldn't happen. Um, I went to game three versus both of my Delver opponents. And like, honestly, if I had drawn a mock, like if I could replace any random card I had drawn um, within the first six turns of both game threes with a mock Simon, whether it was a land, a creature, like, replace any card with a mock Simon, I think I'd easily win either one of those games. But some, I don't know, sometimes it just doesn't break your way. Like, yeah. When uh, <laughs> when you just draw like Yafamaya, Bajuka Bog, Thespian Stage, Satiri Step as your lands, like you're just not resolving a creature that matters. Yeah, not fair. Yeah, I mean, like, and I, I do think it was a good call. I mean, I don't want to, I guess, dig too much into the results right now, but I mean, there, there was a depth player who made top eight, right? So I do think it was a, a good idea. And like, you're Theory makes a lot of sense uh, why you would want to play the deck. So I think I think it was still a good call, even if the results didn't go your way. Yeah, the funny thing about Connor making it um, was his event also didn't go go well. Uh, but these events are just so small that you like actually don't even need a good record to really get there. Um, mm. He so he lost round one. I think he got a buy round two. And then round five, he got paired against uh, Jason Murray, who could not make it in top eight, but Connor could off breakers. Mm -hmm. um, even though, you know, they were both 2-2, but Jason was just way too far down in breakers. Sure. So Jason just conceded so he could go, like, be with his family on Easter. Yeah. <laughs> so Connor made it. That's a high EV play, by the way, by, by Jason. Just <laughs> concede. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, and, but you're right. I mean, like, these are, the fact that they're both 2-2 two, two and, like, one is, at least have a chance to make it is really nice. But, like, and that's what happens with a lot of these. Because, I mean, this was, what, 20, 29 people? 28. Uh, 28. So, like, if you're looking at the three twos, um, if I can pull this up, um, I think these are flipped. But, you know, three twos went from... Uh, Seventh, yeah, seventh place all the way down to 15th place, right? So that's like a, a third of the standings are at 5-2. Am I counting that right? Yeah, like a third. Um, almost, a, almost a quarter. We'll say a quarter just to make it nicer. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, our 3-2 record in these things is not bad. And like 4-1, like, very quickly locks you up, but there are a lot of people like this is one of those events. I think you had one of these before too, where like, if you can just like three O to start, you're probably just going to like, you can lose the next two and still make top eight a lot of times. Yeah. So 
Uh, you know, I, I'm really glad I got the chance to play in it. Very disappointed with how it went, but it's okay. Well, uh, you know, it's not the first time I've been there. Won't be the last. Yeah, for sure. So uh, talking about it just a little bit, um, who actually, you know, really actually made the top eight, like, and I think this is one of the headlines coming out of this event. Um, so congrats to McWinsoff, which is win with a, we have it listed as Yorian Zenith. I couldn't actually find the deck list and I, I can try to. He posted it. It's the same five colored nonsense pile he's been playing like uh, with an Omnath, like, you know, it's the Green Sun Zenith deck where he's okay. got like the Ice Fang Quaddles, but he's also got like the Omnath, like the one Omnath, the one Primeval Titan. He also splashes black for like one copy of Grist. Um, hmm. The deck's, you know, wild. I still, like, I, I don't actually know how good the deck is. Because, like, I tried it before, and it felt really clunky. Um, and McWinsauce keeps winning with it. But, like, I don't know how much of that is the deck versus how much of that is. He is just a very good player. Yeah. Um, it could be a mixture, right? Like, the deck could actually be good and just difficult to play with. Uh, you do see other people put up results with it here and there. But... I, I just feel like nobody has that same consistency. It didn't feel great. It felt kind of funky. But again, like I could have just not known what I was doing. And sure. I'm very willing to believe that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those, and I, I feel the same way about this. I know this might be a weird comparison, but the Yogmal deck in Modern, I feel like it's the same way, where like, it, I know the deck is good. I understand that on an intellectual level. But like I cannot win games with that deck for some for some magical reason. Like the games I win are the games that anybody would win, where you just have it and your opponent can't do anything. But any game where you like you, I face any kind of mild disruption, I'm just like, ah, there's no chance of me winning this game. And you're right, McWinsoff will just win games like that all the time. So it's uh, you know, hard hard to tell if uh, any of the decks he plays are are good. I feel that there's a couple of players like that where they could just play anything and it, they're just going to win anyways. Um, there was a couple other decks in the top eight too, but like the uh, Arkin actually won a, I think the challenge on Saturday um, playing Reanimator. Azimandius um, also made top eight. If I can find his deck list. Um, he was on Jeskai Control. Yeah, um, I, with like with but, two Pyroblast, two Snapcaster Mage in the main deck. Something like that, yeah. And he, he really did build the deck with the metagame in mind. Um, and that's not saying that you can't play the deck and be successful, but like, you know, he, he's very aware that like, this is not the best deck. Mm -hmm. This is good <laughs> for the field he expected, right? Like, Delver can really struggle with Monastery Mentor. Um, mm -hmm. The card advantage you get from Snapcaster Mating Expressive Iteration really lets you go large. Um, like kind of going larger in those like blue mirrors is often good. Um, but yeah, I like it as long as you're not getting punished by the mana, like the cards in here line up reasonably well. So like it's probably a good call. Yeah, and even like going through his matchups, uh, like he played Delver three times, which I think if you want to play Delver as many times as you can with this deck, um, 
and well, sorry, played him four times actually, and went three one, which I think is a fantastic record and three uh, one. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic record in an event like this. Really high quality players. Um, also played against eight cast, which if you're gonna play two pyroblast main deck, uh, another two in the sideboard, and a meltdown on the sideboard, and also some price of progresses, like that seems like a good place to be. Also another two red blast too, so what six blast effects post board, that's gross. Um, and then also playing into Ruby Storm, where you have two force negations in the main deck, uh, I think is a pretty solid place to start off. Yeah. So uh, I have to admit, I was kind of rooting for him to win when I looked at uh, once I looked at who was in like the top four, he was definitely my pick. Um, I didn't really think he was going to win just looking at the matchup spread, but it's really rooting for him. Disappointed to see him lose. Yeah, I think I I thought Arkham was going to win. Um, I also thought Arkham was going to win. Um, yeah. And we, we try not to be too negative on here, but I was pretty upset about that. Um, <laughs> if anybody wants to know more, I'm not going to elaborate too much here, but Max Dorshin has a recent thread about Arkin being problematic. Mm-hmm. But I think playing the Black Red Reanimator list was a, a, a pretty solid choice. It's, it's one of those decks that I, <laughs> I don't lose playing Delver versus Reanimator, but I feel like I see a lot of people died to it so i think it was a probably good call um i think being able to have the post board carpet of flowers and vintage swarms are really nice and i I do think you have a lot of good points of interaction in terms of uh, silence serenity shenanigans wear tear like you have a lot of ways to deal with opposing hate whether that's graft digger's cage rest in peace whatnot so I, i think this was a really good choice if you know that is your fancy yeah i mean you might remember my uh, my reanimator arc from, <laughs> from like a couple months ago where I was like, I don't know, this deck, I'm convinced it's bad, but people tell me it's good. So I played it and I was like, oh, I just murder everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just, I don't know if this deck is good or not. It's very confusing to me. Um, I I do think, you know, going in a row like this where you, like you realistically knew that about half the field was going to be on Delver. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of good because you can tailor your game plan to be good against it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of my concerns, if I were him, would have been uh, also an increased amount of hate. But clearly that didn't seem to be an issue for him. But but like you said, he won the event the day before playing the stack. So it's like, okay, that's a reasonable sign he might be on the stack. Plus, if you just look at his event history, he does have a tendency to play like uh, Dredge and Reanimator in these like more important events. That's actually how he qualified for the showcase challenge in the first place was playing Reanimator. Um, and so with him in the field, with like Hybing, who's known for playing Hogak in the field, um, and with there being a couple people who like are basically a locked man lands, I would have been pretty worried about surgical extraction being at a high. Mm. But you know, looks like it worked out for him. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that kind of worked out in terms of not playing, you know, playing this deck, I think playing a lot of other decks too, is the fact that everyone was packing extra Red Blast, extra Pyroblast. So playing a deck that dodges that card entirely, I think is a really 
nice place to be. And I think that's one of the reasons why playing something like Green White Depths, obviously, I think would have been a, a good call. Um, playing Lands, which I don't think had a had a great showing, all things considered. There weren't too many pilots playing uh, the Lands deck, but I, I thought that was a kind of a lock to have a really good event. But I know Kellen had a really bad day, went 0-2, um, and it looks like uh, Promid Knights uh, went 3-2. So, I mean, that depending on how the matches fell, that could have been a top eight, but... Yeah, so Matt, who has Promenade Knights, um, said he was really unhappy with the way he played. Uh, much like me, I know he was kind of busy leading up to the event and really didn't have the chance to test. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to him a little bit about it because I was like, hey, man, like, just relax, do what you need to do. Like, um, you know, he had a bunch of school stuff he needed to take care of and, like, needed, like, he had family obligations. So it's like, you should really focus on what's important. Like you're a good player. You'll, you'll be back. Like, don't worry about it. Mm. Um, but yeah, he was not happy with how he played and Kellen, um, I think he said he had some, like some bad luck against Delver in round one. And then he got paired against reanimator in round two, which like going into the event, he had even messaged me. He's like, I feel good against most decks I expect to see other than reanimator. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> If you get paired against one of your worst matchups in round two, like, <laughs> what are you gonna do? But there was, and there was just a, a lot of Delver in this event. Like, looking at it, and I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure the number is around here somewhere. I thought it was um, 13. There might have been 18. The pilots were on on Delver. See if I can find it. Um, 13 players on Blue Red Delver. Which, once again, in a field this size, right, like 28 players, like 13, literally almost half the field is playing Blue Red Delver. Yeah. There's uh, a lot of talk about if something's going to go from Delver. I will be curious to see if it happens. Um, I don't know. I still have, like, mixed feelings. It's just, like... Some of the games against the deck are so miserable, and then there's other games where I'm just like, oh, playing against this is a joke. So, like, I uh, I always have mixed feelings, but, like, you know, just people are not happy to be playing against it, and it's putting up consistent results. So I wouldn't be shocked to see something else disappearing in the near future. Um, personally, I would really like to see Merktide gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Vaguely curious what will happen and when. Yeah, I think the the big ones people are talking about are Expressive Federation or Merktide Region, and just I think the you're seeing this in in Pioneer, sorry, in Modern rather as well, where just like being able to play down a two mana eight eight flyer <laughs> is a really good way to close out a game, and the fact it usually wins games in like two hits, so uh, makes it a really efficient threat, which I don't think the format is really prepared for or able to deal with. It, is that something, I think that's also something that you could could put yourself in a better position to deal with. I, I still think that, you know, death and taxes being able to like fl- hit it with flicker with or, you know, the presence of uh, Teferi bouncing it, get swords to plowshare, which is kind of annoying because you gain a bunch of life, but like there are ways to deal with it in the format, but I, I also think that Merktide Reach is just a, is a 
good enough threat that even if there are answers to it, like I think you presenting the threat is probably a more advantageous position than any kind of potential downside from it being dealt with. Yeah, I think you kind of summed up the way I feel about it. Um, it's just a very unfun card because, like, I, I really don't enjoy playing with or against it very much because it's like it comes down and all of a sudden it is what the game's about. And, like, I know there's a lot of cards like that, but it's mm-hmm. not like it's not really an interesting card, right? Like, it doesn't really give you that many decisions. Like, once it comes down, it's like, okay, is this the biggest thing in play? Yes. Am I close to bed? No. Okay, I'm going to attack. Um, and it's just like the game just totally becomes like, can I answer that? Like you said, there are answers, but it feels like there's so few. Um, and like you kind of listed the good ones, right? Swords of Plowshares and then Pyroblast, and that's like kind of it. Mm. But like, you know, you kind of don't really want to play a bunch of Pyroblasts in your main deck just because it's like, like I know people are doing it right now, but mm-hmm. you know, there's so much of a I mean, a lot of people play blue, but like, you know, when you get paired against death and taxes or like taps, then it's like, you just feel dumb having this card in your main deck, right? And I just like, I don't know. It really doesn't need the line of text where it gets bigger when when they play the second one too. No, yeah, it doesn't. Like even, even like, if I flicker was your merc type, right? It's like, okay, sweet. You have a three, three, I have a three, one, like they'll trade off, like this is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you just play a second merc type, you're like, oh, look, I have two eight eights again. Like, ah, it's kind of nonsense. Yeah, I had a, I had a game where, I talked, about, I talked about this on the show last week, but I had a game where I was playing blue, red, merc tide and modern, and I cast a merc tide, attacked for eight. The next turn, cast another merc tide, attacked for 13, and that was the game. Like it just does that doesn't need to happen. Like it, I'm I'm fine having two eight eights, but instead I get a thirteen thirteen and an eight eight. And it's like who who was this for? Like, but I mean, I know that's been beaten to death at this point. But it, it's a very odd design design decision. Um, it it makes the it makes the mirror kind of interesting. Not not even interesting. It just it's another one of those ways that the mirror ends up being this kind of like slaughter fest, even like even though you, though you both have access to the Merktide arms race, like you're both participants, but like one person literally gets to play a second Merktide before the other person gets to play a second Merktide. And now you have a 10-10 and they only have a 7-7. So now you just get to run over their Merktide in the air or, or they die. And like, that's a lot of the games that I've played in the mirror just become that. Like you either have the Pyroblast or you just make a bigger Merktide and, are able to abyss your opponent in the air and you win. And it's like, I don't mind winning that game, but like, it's also a weird thing that I have to play that game. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you saw the article that Isaac Bolinkle put out this week. I did actually. Uh, yeah. So for those who might not have seen it, he wrote an article about like what he thinks the issue with, um, well, he didn't necessarily call it an issue, but like, he pointed out this interesting tension in Blue Red Delver. Um, Isaac is one of the Zoomers, very smart, um, very good player. Uh, he was the one who really put a lot of work into like the Blue Red like Saga deck when that was a thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he pointed out like Delver has this weird contrast where it wants to play the short game with stuff like Phase and Wasteland and tempo people out, but like also expressive iteration, 
Mystic Sanctuary pushes it into this long game. So like he kind of put out this article like explaining like the pros and cons to each approach and said like, you know, this is the build I'm working on where he actually drops Delvers and plays like just plans for the slower long game. Um, and so I was decided to give it a shot. Right, because I really enjoyed the Blue Red Saga deck. I thought this might feel more like that. And I haven't enjoyed playing with Blue Red Delver lately. Um, but I played I played this deck versus Grix's Merc, like Grix's Merc Tide control, like Days Undoing uh, yesterday. It was just like every turn felt like it was about Merc Tide region. It was just like so obnoxious. Like neither one of us could do anything. Like my opponent would make a 7 7 Merc Tide. But then I would make an 8-8 Merc Tide. It's like, okay, well, don't you look dumb. Uh, mm -hmm. But they had Baleful Strikes, so I couldn't attack. <laughs> it was just like, I like dealt with their Baleful Strikes. And, um, but then they played like a second Merc Tide. And we're like, well, now I have a 13-13, like two 13-13 Merc Tides. So it was like, okay, well, I have a Pirate Blast for one, but like, you still have like the other ones. You Like, it was just a mess. And it was just like, who is this game for? Like, mm -hmm. who is enjoying this? I'm not enjoying it. I don't think my opponents, well, actually I was enjoying it a little bit, but like, I, I don't know. There was just a lot of turns where it was like, this game is entirely around Mark Tide region. Yeah. It, I don't know. It's just like not great. Yeah, it's that, and I, I don't think it's intended to be like that. And I, I could be wrong. I one thing I, I've never, I haven't seen the M file for Marktide Region. I, I'm very interested to see what they, the intention was for the card. But, you know, I, I think the, I think the the deck is so interesting. I'm Lyra Delver, you know, in particular. And like, and I, I, I will link the article that Bullwinkle wrote, um, just because I do think it's an interesting read. Um, the, I guess for a better word, that the Delver, your opponent plan, right? Where you just play the one drop, you wasteland them out of the game, wasteland days them out of the game, whatever. Um, plan is so good, nine times out of 10. But, and I think Kellen actually mentioned this a couple a couple weeks ago, I think, I, and I mentioned this. Like, the way you're winning with this deck is very rarely with the Delvering plan. You're just winning with Expressive Iteration and winning this kind of like medium to long game at this point. Because the card advantage engines you have in the deck are so good Merktide region so efficient uh, dragon reach channel are so efficient that like it makes it does make a lot of sense to go in that kind of like small ball card advantage value snowball machine right and just like win the game like that especially now that you're kind of slowing down with mystic sanctuary um so i i'm not shocked like if you're going to cut any card like i guess it would be the one that doesn't allow you to snowball like dragon reach channeler I guess even though it does have this really awkward situation in this like Murktide meta where like you have to attack into a Murktide occasionally, I think that's fine just because you can make your Murktide reliably bigger uh, playing the Dragon Rage Channeler. Um, the, did you like the predict? That was the one card in the deck that I thought was peculiar, I guess is probably the word I would use. Like if I'm going to cut dates for anything, I don't think it was predict. So I'm only three matches in. I've only drawn predict once and I got pitched to a force of flow. So okay. I uh, don't have an answer on if I like it or not. Um, I like it in theory, mm -hmm. but I don't know if I like it in actuality. Yeah, they, and once again, like this is, 
for those who have not seen this deck, um, the big things that are happening is that we are um, from the, the quote unquote stock list, right? We're down four Delvers. We are down two Wasteland. We're down one Days. Uh, we are up a um, to predict up to Snapcaster Mage, and we're up. We're playing four Bobbles. Is essentially what it what it is. Um, the deck in general also they are playing counterbalance on the board which i've seen in other lists too i think the counterbalance is actually really good but you know i'm i feel like <laughs> i feel like um the delver i still like the ability to delver my opponent out and i i guess you don't need to do that right but like i still think that's a really efficient plan at least to have access to so i'm it's hard for me to want to give that up. Like, I, I just think that is a tool in your tool belt that is really efficient when it when it happens. And if it, I want to maximize the chance of it happening, even if that does come at the expense of me not having a better long game because I'm playing Wasteland as, you know, land number four or whatever off my expressive iteration. I, I think that's overall fine. Yeah, I totally get that. And I think one of the things about the Cartel War Secrets is, it's one of your best cards in your worst matchups. Mm -hmm. So losing something that just kind of gets you free wins does mm -hmm. seem a little bit questionable sometimes. Mm -hmm. Also, how does this deck, like, it, not that it's something I should be planning actively for, but, like, this deck just did not beat Leyland of the Void ever, right? Like, Oh, yeah, absolutely not. Um, so Max Dorshin getting mentioned for the second time this episode um, just posted a, a trophy with this deck where he actually cut um, I honestly can't remember what cards he cut but he just added two brace and borrowers to the main deck and one of the things he said was like people aren't really on the card but could never beat Leyla of the Void or rest in peace and he's like my opponent resolved one and I was like this is never happening again <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fair I do not blame him. Yeah, that is the one thing I'm looking at this deck, and you know, Delver Secrets is very good at ignoring that card entirely. So to not have any out to lay on the void or rest of pieces, kind of a no no go in my mind. But you know, to each their own, I guess. Uh, yeah, it, well, you see, you just hit them with four lightning bolts, <laughs> and you attack with Snapcaster Mage, and. You know, it was Snapcaster made four times. Easy. Easy, yeah. I mean, yeah, and I guess you do have eight mana sources, so you can cast Merktide Regent for seven mana. The three three. So that's that's something. Uh yeah, I don't I, once again I know this deck is good. I know um Bullwinkle has a good pedigree as a as a deck builder, so uh, I definitely need to, do need to try it out at some point, but I I feel like this is a, a deck that preys on other people playing Blue-Red Delver and you just being a better control deck in that matchup. So, something to keep in mind, I guess. So, um, and I, kind of going back to something you had mentioned before, right? They People have been talking about, you know, what is, is this deck actually better than it was when Ragavan got banned, right? I think that's a, a point of contention. The deck in general, and I, I, I want to give credit to the right person. I want to say it was Bob Wong. 
um, made a comment. Let me see if I can double check if it's Bob. Um, you know, looking at the metagame percentages and or win percentages rather of Blue Red Delver, it most of them just got better. Like there are some that are. I'm pretty sure you're thinking of Coke and TG. Am I? Okay. K O K E M T G. Pretty sure. Okay. Uh, K O K E. Yeah, I don't know. That I don't really love that narrative. It's um, actually, if you look at the same tweet, uh, Matthew who kind of does a great job of summing up the way I feel about it. Like, you can't really look at just the numbers before and after and like draw huge conclusions, right? Because the decks are built differently. Mm-hmm. Both the decks that you're playing against and the decks you're playing with, people are getting more experience playing Delver, like. Uh, you also have less people playing Delver just because they're like, oh, well, I have to play the monkey deck like it's the best mm-hmm. thing to be doing. And so therefore, like, I think your average quality of Delver player has gone up. Sure. Yep. So it's like, I, I just think there's a lot that goes into it. So I think it's very hard to just say, oh, like the deck's better than it was. You, you just don't have full data. That's fair. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way of saying it. Like, and like, I do want to... Th- I could be wrong. Maybe with Bob said to this one bit, but you know, looking at some of the some of the decks, right? Like, I I kind of expect that the elves matchup, the death and taxes matchup, get better just because I'm not playing Ragavan into a two one first striker. I'm not playing um, a two one into an elf that's going to get bounced back to my opponent's hand. Like, there are some matchups that. I, I don't think have got have improved or have improved rather because having a two one goblin piker is just not good in those matchups. Um, but like the deck Ragavan, I think is one of those effects that people can rally behind because it it is very obviously powerful and very obviously warps games around you know, games where it survives for three turns and games where it doesn't survive for three turns are very, very different. But like, I also don't, I don't think people really contemplate enough the games where you get to have a Merchad region for three turns. Like those games end very quickly, which I, I think is part of the issue, right? Like you get, you get to have a Merchad region. If you can attack with it for two, the next two turns, you probably just win the game. And I don't think people kind of put that into account as much as they do with, the two one that comes down on turn one, you know, every other game. I just realized when I was looking at this, I definitely was reading this graph wrong. Did you have it flipped? Maybe I'm not. I all right. So looking at the no. looking at the graph, because we're just a I guess help the medium. Um, some of the matchups like Doomsday actually dropped, which kind of makes sense, right? Like if I'm playing a Blue Red Delver, I'd rather play with Ragavan than against um, against with Ragavan than not with Ragavan. So like the Doomsday matchup uh, went down um, from 60, 69% to 66%. It's still a good matchup. Like that hasn't changed. Um, the Elves um, matchup actually went up and not by much. It's went from 61% to 62%. I think that's a minimal difference. Um, the depth matchup is still abysmal, but also went up a little bit. Death and taxes went up a little bit. Um, Blue Zenith is the one that I think is surprising, but also kind of makes more sense too. Like 
if Blue Zenith is going to be the deck that can put a bunch of blockers out pretty reliably, I don't want a 2-1 creature that has to get through the ground. So, like, that kind of makes sense there. Um, um, Ant going down is the one that I think is kind of surprising, just going from 75% down to 56%. Like, I think, obviously, with Ragged End was really, really good. But it dropping a, a full 20% percentage points is... And I don't say surprising, but like that's just showing the power that Ragavan actually has there. Um, so the way I was reading it wrong for the record mm-hmm. um, is since there's commas, I was thinking it was like, uh, like let's look at Green White Depths. Say mm-hmm. like Delver had won 39 games versus Green White having won 77. But I'm pretty sure it's meant to be a decimal point. That's a percent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're talking about we're European here. Yeah. Or I guess European, I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. So the, okay, honest, I, I hadn't looked too closely at it, otherwise I probably would have realized something like Blue Red Delver is not 45 games versus zero, like <laughs> not 45 matchup match wins versus zero match wins to against band control right yeah. like i never would have thought that but i just like kind of looked at the premise of what was going on and was like i don't think this is useful it moved on yeah that's fair yeah and i think i think that's also accurate too like you're right there are a lot of conditions that it's not like something you can do one for one um but i do think i guess regardless of you know this this data like i still think that blue or delver is the best deck in the meta i don't think that's changed uh, I think Merktar region is the most efficient closer in the legacy metagame right now. And I don't think that's particularly close. Like, I, I think the only other thing I think that is even remotely as powerful as a creature, I'm going to say is Uro, but Uro doesn't, isn't seeing the amount of play that Merktar region is seeing play right now. Um. So I, I just think if you're looking for ways to, to knock off the a deck, I, I think you have to start looking at Merktide region. But yeah, I I'm uh, obviously a little bit biased here, but I I really feel like if you even if you have to do something, I really I really wish they they wouldn't. But like the uh, my other thing would be obviously to add more firepower to other decks, but that's not something you can do in a, in a short period of time that's a that's a developmental choice over the next two years so i, I think that if you are going to do something it, it probably deals with murktide region or aggressive iteration yeah yeah i agree um, i don't i don't even know if i think they need to hit both but like i almost want to see expressive iteration go just so people shut up <laughs> i'm just like sick of hearing about that card yeah it's, I mean, it, it's sees playing literally every format it's legal. Um, it's a really good card, but in, and we've talked about this before, they're just, they're not going to stop printing expressive iterations. You know what I mean? Like, they've been kind of pushing the envelope. There is a, obviously, like, Reckless Impulse is a card. Um, we had um, Eric on, Eric Virgo. Um, which I think was episode 50, 58, something like that. 
Um, but Eric even, you know, said that Reckless Impulse was a card that he was looking at that was very good, uh, a very powerful card uh, that he was interested in playing with. And they made a better version of it now that's an instant. So that's a thing you can do. Um, and I think if you keep allowing them to make variations on that theme, they're just going to keep doing it. And, you know, I think that the next kind of place you go after making a instant speed red version of reckless impulse is making a multicolored version that's somehow more powerful. Um, and I don't, there's very few things you can do to that. Like if you make it like black red, like I'm now interested in playing a, um, Grixis version of the deck that gets to play with the cool expressive iteration that makes your opponent discard a card or um, makes you, you know, deal two damage to a, a, a permanent, you know, whatever it is. Like they're going to eventually do that. And that's just a matter of time with design space. Okay. Well, let's. Talk about, we talked about the showcase qualifier. Um, once again, congrats to Mick Winsoff. Um, great, well-deserved victory. Um, you know, if anyone's going to win, if it wasn't you, Maps, and I'm, I'm glad it was you know, somebody I can root for, at least. That's cool. I mean, I would have preferred somebody like we yes. kind of <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like that's nothing against Vic Winsauce. So I don't really know much about him other than like that he plays a lot of Magic Online and what he plays. Um, but like, would have really rooted for like Kellen mm -hmm. or Jason Murray or Matt Brown. Yeah. Connor's cool. <laughs> yeah, Connor's cool. Connor's cool. Yeah, definitely some other people would would have been would have been nice, but here we are. <laughs> um, I know this is your favorite part of the year, the thing you look at, look forward to the most. Um, we have the full spoiler for the newest set, Streets of New Capenna, which apparently which I built, have not looked at. I have not, I barely looked at this. So I do want to point out some things I thought were super cool that you may have seen, may not have seen. Um, and, you know, we don't have to talk about everything here, but at least talk about a couple of these things. Um, the one that I'm fairly positive you've talked about or you've seen at least it's the Titan of Industry. Um, for those who haven't, uh, this is a four in green, green, green for a seven, seven elemental with reach and trample. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you get to choose two. Um, so two options. Uh, option one is naturalized, destroy target artifact or enchantment. Uh, option two is target player gains five life. Option three is create a four, four, green rhino warrior creature token and option four is put a shield counter on a creature you control um for those who do not know a shield counter is a one-time use uh, prevent damage or, or sorry yeah prevent damage or prevent um a destroy effect uh, on a creature so um titan of industry seems like something that could slot into amulet right uh i think this card is bad you're really? definitely open to being wrong. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not like, you know, if people try it and say it's good, like, I would believe them. I mean, like, I would try it myself before I registered it in an event. Sure. I'll probably try it one way or the other. Actually, I probably won't. I'll probably only try it if people say it's good. Um, but just like, 
seven mana is a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, we can play seven drops. Like, we play Cultivator Colossus. If Green Sun Zenith were to ever get unbanned, we'd probably play Green Sun Zenith. Mm-hmm. Um, but seven mana is a lot. So then it's like, okay, what are what are we getting at? Right. And it has to be better than all their seven drops. Like it has to be better than Hornet Queen. It has to be better. Mm. It, n- not necessarily better than Colossus, but it has to be at least different. Yeah. Um, so destroy target artifact or enchantment. Obviously a good ability. Um, not something Amulet is super looking for. Like, yes, we care about destroying artifacts or enchantments sometimes, but like the enchantment we care about the most is Blood Moon. And we don't want to like triple green is not what we're looking for, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we already are really good at that effect between Force of Vigor and Visage. That's not to say like those effects can't be improved upon, but I just don't think this is better at doing those things. Um, you know, I will say it's vaguely interesting against Hammer. Uh, obviously, it's really slow, but the fact mm-hmm. that it has trample means it can actually like block everything and then like destroying something in there is always good, but like I don't think that's a reason. Um, in terms of gaining five life, like I don't think that's an effect you're super interested in. Mm-hmm. If you were, you would be playing more than one copy of Radiant Fountain, or you would have considered Thraktos more regularly. Mm-hmm. So I think we can move on from that. Uh, the other sick life gain option is Corsair Prefix. Oh, love that card. Um, so create a four four, um, seven mana, put eleven power into play is actually kind of gross mm-hmm. um so that's really good but i don't think that four four is better than the like what you would get off of casting a cultivator colossus right like you're generally putting in more than seven power there too so like the power is going to be comparable uh and even if you might get a little bit more off the titan um colossus is going to draw you into action yeah. the vast majority of the time and so whatever action you're getting off of the Colossus is going to be second or better than the 4-4. Uh, you know, maybe not as immediate, like if you don't have an amulet out. Like if you don't have an amulet out, like odds of you casting a seven mana spell aren't super high either. Uh, the shield counter. Shield counter is good. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do think, like I do think playing this against, like resolving this against control and putting a shield counter on this and making a 4-4 is actually like pretty gross. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they have a chalice, like putting a shield counter on this and destroying their chalice is pretty gross. But against um, most other decks, I don't think you care about the shield counter. The other thing is, you know, protecting a primeval titan or triad from like an unholy heat. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But like, if we're really only interested in the one ability, uh, and the others are just kind of like good, but not needed. Like I, I just don't think, I just don't think this is doing enough to be worth a slot. Like, so, you, I think you just have to do a lot to be a seven mana play, right? Like when you're a deck that wins the game on six mana, why am why am I playing a seven mana card that's not winning me the game? And I don't think this is winning the game, and I don't think it is good enough at solving any issues. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, the the triple green. Um, blood moon issue definitely definitely a big one for me uh, that makes a lot of sense uh i do I, i've also seen people go ahead go ahead sorry i was gonna say i've also seen people say like oh this card's much better against stress down than cultivator classes is and it's like yeah like that's true um mm-hmm. the fact that this doesn't die on the spot but like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Well, like, I, I'm just not excited about a seven mana, seven, seven reach trample guy, you know, like mm-hmm. just not doing it. The, the one thing I think is kind of underrated about this card that I haven't really seen people talk about is the fact the last ability doesn't target, right? So like if they kill, if the ability in the stack and they kill your Titan, you can still put the counter on, you know, your, you know, Azusa or your, I guess your beast, whatever that thing is called. Um, if you if you need to, so that's kind of sweet. An unkillable arboreal grazer. Let's go. I know, yeah. Uh, talking oh, about so uh, many Merktide regions. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and that's decent. I think being, being able to block Merktide effectively, I guess at least, is pretty nice. Block it twice, I think it's cool. Could buy you enough time. Um, the other one I think that's been kind of making the rounds. I I don't see this one personally. Is Void Ren. Uh, it's a white, a blue, and a black. So we got Esper colors there. Um, this spell can't be countered. Destroy a target non-land permanent. I, it's obviously a very, I guess, I, I don't even know what I want to call it because it's like a combination of the effect we see or we saw off of like the Abrupt Decay cycle, but it's obviously like a Vindicate that can't target land. So uh, are you high on this card or are you like me? <laughs> Uh, I think this card is playable. Yeah. Like, I, I think this card is playable in an Asper Control deck. And it's like, is Asper Control actually good? Mm-hmm. You know, that remains to be seen. Like, I, I think it's kind of like a French card, right? Like, people play Asper Control in Modern sometimes, and it's never like, oh my God, like, it's so scary. It's like the best thing I'd be doing. But like, I don't think it's like bad, right? Mm-hmm. Just, kind of there um there's not like a huge argument to be playing it uh, this you know does add a little bit of an argument and you know about twice a year i trick myself into playing Esper and legacy for a bit sure. um it's just like one of my favorite color combinations so like having a clean answer to a planeswalker uh that can't be countered is pretty sweet mm-hmm. um well a clean answer to like anything right like prismatic ending is oftentimes a three drop in that deck, except it can be countered. Um, so having just an additional removal spell versus like a Merktide region that can't be countered or like mm-hmm. being able to kill a Teferi and knowing that it's going to resolve. Like, I think the card's good. Yeah. Hey, like, it's not absurd. Like, I would not be shocked if it ends up not seeing play, but I also wouldn't be shocked to see it as like a two of in decks moving forward, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh this the next one I think is a cycle, and I, I'm not gonna I guess go through the whole thing. But they they finished the uh, triumph cycle. Uh, these do not have the name triumph, which is infuriating to me. Um, but you get Rafine's Tower, Xander's Lounge, uh, Zeotora's Proving Ground, Jetmir's Garden, and Spar's Headquarters. So they are a cycle of trilands. Um, they so for example, Rafine's Tower is a Plains Island Swamp and comes into battle into the battlefield tapped and has cycling for three, just like the triumphs we saw in Ikoria. Uh, I like these. I think these are a, a good cycle that they finished here. These cards are good. I will 100% try uh, the Naya one in depths. I will 90% come to the conclusion it's not good enough. And I will 100% be sad about that. But I mean, they they slot into modern, I think, particularly well, right? Like you get to play the Jund one in 
the uh, scapeshift deck, which I think is cool. So you, it, like, if you're going to try to tutor up black mana anyways for something like, uh, I can't remember what it actually is called, the Valky, thank you. Um, that seems like a good way to keep your mountain count high, be able to actually get green mana, but still be able to cast Valky if you need to. Yeah, I uh, am excited for these cards there. Um, and, and modern is what I mean by there. Like, I, again, I can probably see myself playing the Naya one in creativity. Um, would definitely have to actually look at the mana piece, but could definitely see playing one of these. Um, and I, Naya would be specifically for like the primeval Titan builds. Um, for the more traditional builds, you wouldn't want the Naya one. Um, would have to think about if you would actually want one of the other ones or not. Um, can I tell you the one? I, this is the one I actually think I'm excited about, but I think you'd be more excited about. Uh, the Devil's Valet. Have you seen this bad boy? No. Ooh, let me let me spin you a tale, sir. Let's start with a three mana one three that has trample and haste. Fine. Medium creature. Let's add in alliance. So whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you double <laughs> devilish valley's power until end of turn. So with this, <laughs> with this thing, uh, you get to play Rod of the Ancestors, bring back like six creatures and double its power five times, which goes from one to two to four to eight to 16 to 32 off of one Rod of the Ancestors. And it already has haste. So you just get to attack. I'm excited about this one. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> if you're Man. casting Rally the Ancestors and getting five things back, there's other ways you can kill. Yeah, but it doesn't hurt. I think it's one Yeah. Three. It sounds um, like it could be sick in, like, Winota. Oh, yeah. I, I think Winota just, could be cool. I don't know if it's actually necessary, but it's an option. Higher deck is unnecessary. I think you can you can do whatever you want and and still be okay. I love that deck is so ridiculous. Um man. Yeah, and there's there's definitely some other ones in here um that I, I think are really cool. Um we, we do have another variation on reckless impulse that they that has um casualty one, so you can copy it um if you want to. Uh, the charms have not really impressed me, but I know they. Are there any ones that you saw that looked pretty cool out of the charm cycle? I haven't even. I don't even know if I read all of them. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I don't know if I'm going to. For honest. Yeah, yeah. The only one that I, I was interested in was the Obscura charm. That's the Esper one. Um, three modes: the return target multicolored permanent card with converted mana call or mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped uh counter target instant or sorcery spell or destroy target creature with or planeswalker with mana value three or less um i think the fact that the floor of it is destroy a creature that i think is very prominently played in modern or legacy i think is decent so like you can at at the worst right kill a um, drc or you can kill a uh, Elvis Reclaimer, like Night of the Reliquary, Dahlia, right? Like all those things at least die. Um, I think countering target instant or sorcery is, is fine. Like, yeah. Wait, you can't be, kill a dragon through a channeler. You can. Am I misreading this? 
Destroy a target creature with or plane. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm misreading it. Ignore yeah. me. But also that's pretty bad to pay three mana to kill a one drop. Yeah, it's not great, but like if that's the worst thing the card's doing, I don't think that's terrible. Like, I mean you can kill also kill like you know, Hull Breacher, you can kill Teferi, you can kill Narset, like they're it's a higher end too. I just think like if the worst thing I'm doing killing a one drop, like I'm not terribly upset by that. I'm not excited, but I'm not upset. Um, countering target instant or sorcery, I don't think it's the worst. Like there's enough count- things I want to counter in this format that I think that's fine. I don't know if I want to do it for three mana, of course, in, in legacy at least, but I think in modern that's fine. Um, the one I'm actually excited for is the, the first mode though, because I think being able to return a multicolored permanent three or less is, pretty good like my main thing is i think you're just returning to fairy time raveler i I just think that's the easiest thing to to bring back uh but you also can bring back um like okiba whatever the um vehicle driver thing that we're seeing it's like a vehicle reanimator deck like i think if you can bring back the street boss and you know do you can discard it early and then bring it back with the charm like i think that's pretty decent in that deck yeah, I'm, I'm not excited about it. Like, yes, it's a little bit more versatile, but like, is it really that much better than um, Savine's Reclamation or even mm-hmm. like Persist? Like, I'm, I'm just not excited. Like, the I think it's too expensive as a kill spell. Um, you know, countering and center sorcery is like fine, but. Like, I don't know. Obviously, any of the charms, like, the mana, it's going to cost too much for any of the individual modes, but, like, I, I think this is, like, too, too much. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that, I mean, this is definitely the one I think that's, out of the five of these, is the most playable. Like, I think people have talked about the Rivideer's Charm, which I think is fine. It's the uh, Exile Target Player's Graveyard, Exile the Top 3, you can play them until the end of turn. Um, or target opponent sacrifices the creature or planeswalker with the highest mana cost. I, I think that's probably the second best one here. But I mean, at least the modes for Obscura Charm are things I can imagine doing in a game of magic, like just by default. Like Broker's Charm is the one that I'm just like reading and I'm like, okay, I can draw two cards. That's cool. Destroy target enchantment. That's not what I want to do. Okay. And then like the last mode is like, um, savage punch and i'm like i'm not really interested in having my creature punch your creature that just seems like i'm asking for a blow out there so i'm not interested in that one either but i guess we'll we'll see i don't think i'm not sure if any of these are going to play see play like if i think i had to bet you know do, do they all see play or do none of them see play i would bet towards none of them seeing play but i think obscura and riveteer's charm have the have the best chance at least Um, the one that I think does have a chance, and I, I've seen some brews kind of spilling around about this in actually CEDH1, but also in modern, is Rocco uh, Cabaretti Caterer. So it is X, uh, red, a green, and white. When Rocco um, enters the battlefield under control, if you cast it, you may search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less, put onto the battlefield, then shuffle. So I think the effect in general is not terrible. Like if you're talking about this in modern or legacy, right? You for three mana, you at least can go get a sorry, uh Dryad Arbor, which I think is actually pretty sweet. Like it at least comes with another body, which is fine. Um, the thing I'm 
kind of excited about in modern at least is that you can just cast it for three mana get a three one but then also go get uh asmo so it's a really easy way to get um i can't pronounce the name as more carta whatever it's called unbelievable yeah <laughs> to get that onto the battlefield without having to go through the hoops of discarding anything like that um and if you think about it like that right rocco in that in that case is a three mana six four that gets you a cookbook into your hand which i think is actually really really solid yeah i think that could be good i i don't know if it's like if it's necessarily the way you want to build the deck like because then you run into the question of like what is white bringing to the table mm-hmm. and i'm not saying that white is not good i just literally don't know what it's bringing it could be good like i, mm-hmm. I haven't actually put the thought in yeah i'm not sure if there's anything in particular like i think just the way that the deck is uh, could be built right and I, I have no idea right i haven't i haven't looked at my own deck list for this i've just seen this idea floating around on, on Twitter or whatnot, but I think you can very easily build a deck to be like Jund and just splash the light. They get four color build just so you can cast Rocco reliably. And I think that- yeah, that's definitely works. possible. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely, and once again, uh, CADH, there's a bunch of stupid Rocco lines you could you get to do, which I think is really funny. Um, I didn't, I don't mean to talk about this in the top of the show, but I, did I tell you I was on, um, uh, um, moderately anonymous is stream. Nope. No. So I got to play CDH, my Tassiger deck, and I did not win any games, but I had a good time. And oh, you suck. Yeah, You're well, giving I, us a bad name. Well, okay. So to my credit, I was, well, one, uh, I was in the fourth position for all three games. So, like, I, excuses, I, excuses. Well, okay. The one game I was like, I kept a hand that was like, I could cast Tassiger kind of quickly. I could cast it on turn two, and then I could play Windfall on turn three and like recoup a bunch of cards. Like that seems good. And then my opponent goes uh, turn two, uh, Sanctum Prelate on three. I was like, God damn it! <laughs> so I did not cast any three drop the entire game because of uh, of that. So it was kind of insane. Um, yeah, it's definitely a couple couple things that did not go my way but it was it was a good time i was really happy with on um yeah i mean there's sorry going back to this there are definitely some cards that i i'm not sure if they even are modern or legacy playable like i know people have been i I saw people talk about shadow of mortality which is like a fixed death shadow which i'm not in love oh yeah i don't think that card's good no Um, I know uh, Mike Rapp was excited about it, and he knows what he's talking about when it comes to Death Shadow. So, like, I kind of figure I'm probably wrong, but I'm also just gonna like wait and see what. <laughs> I'll, I'll be interested to see what he has to say about it, like two weeks in. You know? Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen Shadow Mortality, it is a 15 mana. It's a 13 mana, 13 colorless, 13 generic rather, uh, black black for a seven seven avatar. If your life total is less than your starting life total, this spell costs X less to cast where X is a difference. So if you actually are at seven life, it costs two black. Um, but you know, if you're at 10 life, it you know will cost 10 less. So only five mana, which is not not terrible, I guess, for a generic creature, but like I just 
I don't know. I'm not, I'm not excited about that one. But I guess to each their own on that. I'm um, surprised it, you didn't mention uh, the artifact. Um, I, I can't remember the name of it. The sword. It's not actually a sword. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. that comes with a uh, devoted druid. Yeah, I think that that's one of those ones that I I am not I high high on, but I'm I'm probably wrong. Um this is no, Luxier. You're, you're dumb. What? <laughs> Luxier. This card is obviously good and you're a huge devoted druid fanboy. Like what is wrong with you? <laughs> uh Luxier, Giada's gift. Um it is a one mana. Legendary artifact equipment. Uh, equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each counter on it. Um, equipped permanent isn't a planeswalker and it's a creature in addition to its other types. Um, you can pay one to equip it to a planeswalker and pay three to equip it um, to a creature. So the combo, um, as Mapson has alluded to, uh, exists with Devoted Druid where you can put the negative one, negative one counter on it, but because it gets plus one, plus one for each counter on it, um, it essentially does nothing for the Devoted Druid. So you can just add the negative one, negative one counters to untap the Devoted Druid and then tap it for mana, add another counter, and it never gets any larger or smaller. So um, pretty sweet combo. Uh, definitely makes infinite mana. The benefit of, benefit with it is it kind of allows you to have a tighter package. Um, some of the decks have been playing... Uh, Stoneforge Mystic to go get Verdian Longbow. Once you have infinite mana, you can just use it to tap, untap um, the creature, and then um, continue dealing one damage to a, a different target. So Luxier is it being a equipment, right, is another thing that you can get off of Stoneforge Mystic. So it kind of doubles up that effect, but also gives you some kind of redundancy, making Stoneforge Mystic a little bit better and making Devoted Druid a little bit more reliable. Um, I it it probably and is and it costs one mana and it costs one an mana so you can find it off Urza Saga. So it, if you play Urza Saga on one, mm-hmm. you don't even need uh you don't even need to hit a third lane. You can go Urza Saga on one, devoted druid on two, and then on three you have infinite mana without another land draft. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty good. It can it can work. I could see it. I I don't know. I, I think the format's so hostile. And like this is one of the things I not even sure if the devoted druid combo is like playable in modern right now. So currently the, no, but Vizier being one toughness is actually noticeably weaker than devoted druid having two toughness. Like that sounds yeah. like such a small thing. And that's not to say like, oh, two toughness, so sturdy, you know. Mm-hmm. But like you can never just like play a Vizier for these, because yep. like, um, Lava Dart is a card that people play. Red and Six is a card people play. Uh, so it's nice that you actually get to put cards in your deck that like, aren't just terrible <laughs> when you just put them into play. And that's not me saying like, oh, like Luxier is like such this good, great card, but like you only need to play one copy of it if you're playing with Stone Card from the or Urza Saga. Uh, versus like the four copies you need to play if you're playing Vizier. You can still play like one Vizier so you can find it with all that news call or Don't get me wrong, I'm not like out here saying this card is going to break the format, it's going to be the best thing to be doing, but like Devoted Druid is unplayable right now and it will be playable in two weeks. Yeah. 
yeah, I definitely think it's something you're gonna we're gonna see a decent amount of. I, I, I don't know. I, I am excited to give it a shot. One thing I love that deck, so you know, anything like at least gives it a shot to be playable. I think is exciting, but like I'm, I, I don't have my hopes up. Um, I, I would be happy though. Yeah, and that's like kind of gone through it. I mean, those are the, like the big ones. Like there definitely are some some other cards here and there, some oddballs, but like there's definitely a couple of popper cards too. Um, but you know, I'm not. I don't know. There's not there's not anything in this in this set that I'm like obvious legacy all star, obvious modern staple. It's just a bunch of stuff. Um, the only one, this is in like an offer you can't refuse, for example, is like, you know, counter target non-creature spell, but his controller gets two treasures, like that seems decent, but like, I guess versus some decks, but I'm also not trying to give people treasures, but it being a one mana hard counter, I think it's, it's pretty good. And I think patch up was the other one that I thought was kind of cool. Um, it's two generic and a white. Or sorcery return up to three target creature cards with total mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So, I mean, if you're doing it in the right deck, you can, like, I'm thinking about like Esper Shadow, right? Like, I can just go get my um, knight captain or, yeah, my, my captain back. Uh, I could just get like two death or three death shadows back, which would be sweet. I don't know how often that happens, but like the fact it's a possibility, I think, is really cool. I guess you could also just get, like, if you're playing it in Collected Company, right, you could get back a Devoted Druid and a Giver of Runes, something like that, too. But, like, I don't know if that's a deck you, a card you want to be playing in that type of deck. That's kind of where my limit my limit is. Like, I just don't know how many decks I'm willing to play a three-mana sorcery in. You can play it in, like, an Esper Mentor shell. Not that those see a lot of play, but that's something that gets worked on every so often. I can see it, right? Like you're pitching cards to Jace. Um, and like it kind of works with like faith, uh, faithful mending. mending. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see that being a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there's definitely some cards. I and mean, we'll, we'll see, I guess, how everything kind of shakes out. But, um, I, I like I have seen like professional break, faith breaker. I know is looks like it's going to be very good in um, commander. Um, I am kind of interested to see how whack plays out. Um, if you if you haven't seen whack, um, it is three and a uh, three generic and a black for a sorcery. Uh, this spell costs three less to cast if it targets a white creature, and target creature gets negative four negative four until end of turn. So I, I think that's a really efficient removal spell. Obviously, situational. We can't play it in every everywhere, right? But um, there's actually part of a cycle. So there are a couple other variations on this that I think are all uniquely powerful, I guess, depending on the, the metagame. So, yeah. All right. Uh, we have been talking for a very, 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 very long time. I... I think we should probably wrap up here. Sure. Oh, one one last card to mention. We don't even necessarily need to talk about it. I just want to make sure people know we are aware that there is uh, the new 
like round water combo with like uh Vivian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's also a thing that you might be able to do in modern. Um I don't I don't feel like listing out the whole combo, but no. you can play um there's the two mana red card that cheats in a planeswalker. Um and you can combo that card with Vivian. If you just search Vivian of the Hunt combo, you will find multiple people online who have very nicely explained it to you. Uh, and I think that could be a deck. Yeah. So I don't know that it's better than other decks that already exist in that similar vein, but mm-hmm. it's playable, probably. Yeah, I mean, there's what Stormbound Apprentice, I believe, is the name of that card. Like, it definitely is something that can happen, Like, but like it's it just seems so fragile in my mind, but I, so I, I don't see, I don't think it's going to happen, but like, I don't know. It's a, it's a wild west, the modern format. You can play anything that works, right? So maybe, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I think it's interesting I think to if try. You, I think if you play redundant copies of the cards, you can make it so it is strong enough that you can go off like through removal. But I think you like, I don't know. It's just like you can't just play one copy of each card. I think. I think you have to play multiples. Um, but the question that you have to ask though is like, is it better than like a Kiki Core deck? And the answer mm-hmm. is probably not. I mean, it, it could be. I don't. I don't know. But like, I could definitely see it being played in like a Yorion value deck with like a Lucidnissa and then like somewhere between two and four copies of each of the combo pieces, depending on how strong they actually are. Um, you know, it's hard to say, like, hey, your game plan is resolve this six-drop Planeswalker to then chain off, like, five cards to kill your opponent. Like, I, obviously, it's doable, but I do think it would require strong deck building to be actually good. I I would be shocked if it doesn't top eight at least one challenge by the end of the year, but I would also be surprised if it became a common part of the metagame. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair place to be. I mean, like, there's always a good chance that you get one thing that ends up being a <laughs> getting a top eight here or there, right? But like, there's there's just no way it's consistent. But you know, once again, who knows? Um, I guess other things to kind of touch on before we we wrap up here. Um, they do have limited showcase opens this weekend, so if you want one more chance to try to qualify for the um, champion showcase. Um, you can play Neon Dynasty Field this weekend if you want to play that at, I guess it'd be 10 a.m. Eastern um, on Saturday or Sunday. You're you're more than welcome to play that. Um, Unbelievable how much I hate that. Don't do that. Go <laughs> to a pre-release. Support your LGS. Oh, it is, I guess it is a pre-release, isn't it? Ah, oh, it's so weird. Okay. <laughs> Are the pre-releases actually this weekend? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I, I didn't mean I hate it just because like I don't like the format or anything. Like format's fine as far as I know. Um, literally, just go support your LGS if you want to play Magic. Yeah. Well, I guess this is. Yeah, I guess. Well, this is ne- Neon Dynasty. It's not New Capenna, right? So you could play. I get that, but like, why is it happening? Yeah. Yeah, it's fair. Um. So in addition to um the. Since these are the last events for this season one, um, we start season two uh, right after that. So um, season two showcase challenges kick off on May 7th. So once again, that gives you like two weeks if you want to try to get enough points to 
play in the first showcase challenges for season two. Um, they also do make a note here, which I think is important to kind of note, uh, important to mention. Uh, qualifiers and super qualifiers return in July uh, when tabletop regional championship qualifying season begins. So that's good for people who are playing online and people who are playing in paper that July is when you should expect to see uh, those regional championship qualifying uh, qualifiers um, around your local stores. So keep an eye out for that in the next three months, I guess. All right. Um, I guess we should wrap up, get out of here. Uh, Maps and where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at Expedition Map on Twitter, uh, Twitch if I ever start streaming in, which I'm kind of feeling the itch to do. So I might okay. fire it up for like one stream and then, you know, go back into hibernation for a year. Okay. Um, or, or if people want to hear my voice, they can um, also check out Magic with Zuby on Friday. Ooh. Where I'm can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bad Luck Bandit. If you're interested in finding the podcast, you can find us at Depth underscore podcast on Twitter as well. Uh, you heard a little bumper in the beginning of the show, which I did freshly record. I think it sounds much better. So thank you to everyone who um, reached out and said I should re-record it. I think it sounds fantastic. Um, so if you uh, want to find any of our information, whether that's you know our link to YouTube or our Patreon or or PayPal, whatever, all that fun stuff. Uh, you can find all the links on our uh, link tree on our Twitter page. I guess I'll see you next week. See you next week. All right. Bye.